As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Hey, let me start with this. One of my earliest childhood memories was when my older brother told me I was adopted. I thought he was joking around with me as many older brothers say the very same thing, that's what they do, but this time it turned out to be true. I was adopted. He knew it, but I didn't, so he told me. And that prompted an overdue conversation with my dad that ended with him saying, Ronnie, you don't ever have to think about this again if you don't want to. So I didn't. I mean, I didn't think about it until 30 years later, if you can believe that which it may not have been the greatest thing for my mental health, but when I finally did begin thinking about the woman who gave me birth, I started asking myself some questions that I had never asked before. Who is she? Where is she? Should I try to find her? What should I say to her if I did find her? And then I was talking it over with God one day, trying to get wisdom and direction. And I told God, if you want me to find her, then you're gonna have to bring her to me. Three weeks later, I kid you not, I open up my mailbox and I'm holding this letter in my hand with my full name on it, Mr. Ronald Zappia, in cursive writing. And in the top left-hand corner, it just said, Catherine Ricci, with the return address, San Francisco. I knew it was from her. I mean, I didn't even need to open it, but obviously I did. And after reading it, I did write back and we began writing to each other back and forth to get to know each other. And that went on for over a year. And that was our only correspondence, just handwritten letters as most people don't develop relationships like that anymore, but we did it this way. So we didn't go too fast and we weren't able, so we were able to respect each other's space and boundaries. I mean, after all that time, then I finally asked her in a letter, I said, would you like to meet face to face? And she wrote back, yes, I would like that very much. So Jody and I, we flew out to San Francisco for a week. We met each night for dinner. We learned a lot about each other and I learned a lot about myself. We took it really slow after all these years because we weren't sure, either one of us, what exactly would be the expectations. Was this the only time we'd ever see each other? I mean, would I meet her family and she meet mine? Would we start having Thanksgiving dinner together every single year? Would we start calling each other on our birthdays? Those were the questions that we had, but we just weren't able to ask. I later learned that all she really needed from me was to hear that I turned out all right. And I didn't resent her for what she did. I didn't dislike her, I didn't hate her. And if that was all she needed in this relationship, that's all I needed too. Relationships can be complicated, complex, and confusing. Anyone agree? Give me a hand raise if you do. Complicated, complex, and confusing, that's what relationships can be, especially when feelings get hurt. Expectations aren't defined or aren't met, and boundaries, they're crossed as time marches on. One person may be thinking one thing while the other person is thinking another. One person is feeling one thing while the other person is feeling something completely different. Let me say it again. The biggest understatement in the world, relationships can be complicated, complex and confusing. And that's especially true after all that we went through this past year. 
as we literally press pause on many of the relationships in our lives. That's why we're starting this new series today entitled DTR, Defining the Relationship. And no, I'm not asking you to go back to high school to redo your senior year. I don't want to do that, neither do you, with all the relational drama that adolescent brings. But I am asking you to do this, to sift through the past year with all the relational relapse that may have occurred as distance and time, it's forced us to take a step backwards instead of forwards in many of the relationships at home, school, work, and even right here in church. We've suffered regress instead of progress as we've gone backwards and not forward. And we haven't been able to see each other and to talk to each other in person like we would normally do as we missed out on so much together. Times we need to worship together and pray together, learn together, laugh together, cry together, even mourn together. This has been the hardest and longest 13 months in my 21 years as a senior pastor. I haven't been in the same room with many of you for over a year. I'm so thankful for those who are here now. So as we return and as we regather at our own pace, make no mistake, we are doing this series to reconnect and recommit ourselves to each other and to our God. We need that. And to reassure and reaffirm our love for the church universally and this church locally. We need each other. We need to be together. And listen, please hear my heart. If any expectations have been misunderstood or, or feelings have been hurt because it happens or boundaries have been crossed, whether it's unintentionally or intentionally on either side, both sides, Let's just commit to doing the hard work necessary to reestablish these relationships as they're worth keeping, they're worth investing in, that we're together here. So I hope you can appreciate our desire to be really serious in a really fun way with this series, DTR. And if we're being honest with some of you, I mean, hear my heart in this. This is how our staff feels as we're thinking and we're talking and we're wondering. So thankful for all of you that are here now. So thankful for all of you that are online. But like as we come together, let me give you an example from high school since we're talking about relational relapse. We thought we were going together and we had something special between us and we even exchanged class rings. And then all of a sudden we broke up and we don't know why. And you didn't even bother to text us. You just, some of you, you just stopped answering ours but we want to get back together again. We just aren't sure if you do. And seriously, a few of you are believing some things that just aren't true about us and others have come to some conclusions that are just plain false. Thinking we changed over this time and not for the better, but for the worse. So let's eliminate all confusion. Let's take the time to define the relationship with, we have with each other as we're here together, that we can understand each other what's going on in our minds, what's going on in our hearts, just like I did with my birth mom, Catherine. And I got to tell you, that turned out to be really good for me and really good for her. And I trust that this will turn out to be really good for each of us too, as we press in together with relationships. So they're so important for each of us. So if you're with us, open your Bibles to Micah, Micah chapter 6, 8. If you don't have a Bible, that's no problem. We're going to put the verse up on the screen. There's only one verse today as we're studying. Title of the message is Defining the Relationship with God. That's where we're starting. 
as we're going to begin this series at ground zero with the most important relationship that we can have with the one who created us, with the one who breathed life into us. And this verse, get ready, it gives us three non-negotiables that God expects from us as we are in relationship with him. So let's make sure we understand the expectations and requirements that he has for us before we look at any other relationships that we have. He's number one. He's most important because if and when we get this one right, this sets up the foundation for all the other relationships to be built on. Let me read from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. If you're a note taker, write down the first non-negotiable that defines my relationship with God. I must know and do justice. Interesting that this is the very first thing. It should cause us to stop and reflect for a moment, to pause, especially with all that's happening in our world, all that we're experiencing from the video of the three and five-year-old kids that were dropped over the wall uh, at the border a week ago to the trial that is taking place in Minneapolis with the police officer who's on trial for murder. The word justice, it's used over 400 times in the Bible. It tells us that we're to do justice. It's the Hebrew word mishpat. And it's a formal decree that has to do with a verdict, whether it's favorable or unfavorable. It includes the act, the place, the suit, the crime, and the penalty. It comes from a root word that literally means to defend, to contend for, to vindicate, or to punish. Now, that word, it's used over 200 times in the Bible. It's impartial, not partial. It's unprejudiced, not prejudiced. It's unbiased, not biased. It's purposeful, not random. It's active and not passive, meaning it's something that we as Christians, we all need to be involved in. Listen, please. God cares about those who are being marginalized and mistreated, misrepresented and misunderstood, treated unjustly and unfairly. But the church, we've often gotten it wrong. And at times, the church has fallen into two unhealthy extremes. One is all justice and no gospel, which is some have labeled the social gospel, which is void of the truth we need, or the other extreme, which is all gospel and no justice, which many refer to as modern day evangelicalism, which is void of the grace that God demands. Both extremes are unhealthy. We started a podcast several months ago entitled The Gospel, Culture, and Me, and it's been doing pretty well as we're releasing two each month. You can get it on any platform. It came from a series that I did several years ago. In that series, we talked about the topics that the church needs to talk about, but oftentimes doesn't. Some of you might remember, we took a break from our normal format in the weekend service, and we inserted some panel discussions right here on this stage on various topics like LGBTQ and sanctity of life and racial reconciliation and immigration. We brought in experts from each of these fields to help us navigate these waters from a very biblical perspective. And honestly, I took a little heat for this series. Some didn't like it because they didn't want to talk about these things at church, while others, they just stopped coming until the series was over, then they came back again. Well, listen, we can't stick our head in the sand as Christians when it comes to the intersection of faith and culture and what's going on in our world. We may not all agree on what to do and how to do it, but we've got to do something. We've got to move forward. As this is one of God's big three non-negotiables. I mean, it's mentioned here first. I recently interviewed Christine Kane on the podcast and 
Some of you may be familiar with her story. It's quite compelling and her ministry, which is phenomenal. She is literally the expert on human trafficking. She identified several myths about the issue. First, she said, most people, they think human trafficking is all about being kidnapped by a stranger on the street or something, like what we see in the movies with the white van and no windows. That does happen, but it's not the reality in most cases. She said trafficking usually involves someone who is known and trusted. Another myth that she told us about was that the victim is taken from their home. She pointed out that this is not always the case as a boy or someone older will begin to groom a girl over time and they get her to send a photo of her in a compromising position without any clothes and, and then he threatens to send the photo to a group of people or to the whole school if she doesn't sleep with A, B, C, or D. And then this little ring starts up in the suburbs and this seemingly normal kid from a good family is sleeping in their own bed at night, living with this trauma, as they're being trafficked on the side. Next, she said another myth is that many think it's only sex trafficking, where there's young girls being exploited, but that's not all of it. It's not just sex trafficking. There is forced labor trafficking where victims could be men, women, children of all ages. And this accounts for much of the trafficking around the world where in some places it's not even illegal. She also said that another myth is that it's not happening here in America. But the fact is that it's happening and being reported in all 50 states. I mean, right here in Naperville, we have women in our church who Jody and I have prayed with right at the front of this stage who've been trafficked. Their stories break your hearts. Christine says that there are over 40 million people being trafficked worldwide and that there are some 2 billion people who would self-identify as Christian. She firmly believes that if we Christians would unite together and do something, all do something from awareness to education, to giving financially, to writing to our local governments, we could end this. She has a free resource online entitled 21 Things You Can Do Today to Make It Possible for Everyone to Be Involved. Can you imagine that if we Christians band together to do what she's saying, if we could eliminate the human trafficking in our world? I would suggest to you that you start with this podcast if you're not familiar with this issue or her ministry. I, I don't know where that's going to lead you after listening, but I do know this. We as a church, we're going to do our part with causes just like this because it's time for the church to step up when it comes to God's non-negotiable of justice because God's got the justice gene and he wants us to have it too. And listen, we are the capital C church. We need to learn from our mistakes. We don't want history to repeat itself. And we haven't always responded in the way that God requires with issues like this. Here's a quote that has inspired me to greater involvement as I discern how God wants me to respond. Maybe it'll help you. It comes from a Lutheran pastor during World War II. He writes, first they came for the communists and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists and I didn't speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists. And I didn't speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. And I didn't speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak out for me. The second non-negotiable when defining my relationship with God. I must live and love kindness. That's what this verse is saying. This is something we must all be living for. Our English word translated love here, it comes from the Hebrew word ashava. It, it's used 40 times in the Old Testament. 
it describes the deep and tender affection that we are to have for each other. And then this second word, kindness, it comes from the Hebrew word hesed. It's used nearly 250 times in the Old Testament. This is the same word that is often translated, don't be confused, loving kindness in many places in the Bible, as it refers to the covenantal love that God has for his people, that this is God's greatest, his deepest love, but don't miss it. This is where our English Bibles or our English language can fail us a little bit because we only have one word for love. We wouldn't say we love love, but that's kind of what this is saying as it's describing the kind of love that we're to have for each other that comes as a result of God's love in us. It's a loyal love that carries through on the commitment to sacrificial love. Remember, when someone asked Jesus how the disciples would be distinguished from other disciples, he said, you will know them by their love. This is the kind of love he was talking about, the loyal love that sacrifices itself for others. That's Jesus's love. And that's the kind of love that he not only modeled, but he gave to us. So if we call ourselves Christians, we inherently say we are to be like Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. Then we need to show and share this kind of love too. Now, as we look at the context of this verse from Micah chapter six, verse eight, the point is that the people, they, they weren't loving like this. They weren't doing, they were doing the exact opposite. They weren't caring for each other. They weren't loving in this way. And even the religious leaders, they were guilty too. That's why it says in verse seven, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now, don't misunderstand. He's using hyperbole to say that there's no amount of sacrifice that can rectify this situation. No amount of gifts at the altar, nobody's life. This wasn't about what you were willing to sacrifice to God. This is what you would be willing to sacrifice for each other, to care for each other, to love each other in this kind of way, to stand up for each other, to be there for each other. But to accomplish this, something had to change in them because their hearts weren't in it. It was all about the external for them and not the internal. And that never pleases God. Let me put it bluntly, since we're patching, packaging this series with DTR, define the relationship. It's like if we were all back in junior high and high school and if compassion and care was a mandatory class in the ninth grade where we had to do it and we're all flunking it. And this is the point in the message where I need to remind us that God doesn't grade us on the curve. So let me ask you this. How are you doing when it comes to loving kindness, as it's often revealed in our compassion and care for each other. This is the loyal love that carries through on the commitment to sacrificial love. And remember, it's a non-negotiable for God to love kindness as he expects us to experience it and extend it to others, to show it and to share it. If you had to grade yourself over the last seven days, how would you do? Let me ask you a few questions so that you can take a personal inventory. Do you love kindness enough for it to make you stop and listen? Do you love kindness enough for it to make you listen and care? Do you love kindness enough for it to make you care and act? Do you love kindness enough for it to make you interrupt your normal routine so that you can show and share the love of Christ? That's what this verse is getting at. And listen, I get it. None of us can meet every need that we see or that we come across, that's impossible. 
but what needs are you meeting? That's the question this is addressing inside the church, outside the church. As the scripture says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who have the household of faith. And Proverbs 3.27, it says, do not withhold good from those when it is in your power to do it. And take a look at Proverbs 21. That says, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. We just can't choose to do nothing. It's not an option. I'm so thankful for many who have decided to love kindness through High Point Cares. All of our locations. Let me share a few stories of some of the things that we're seeing. A woman we have helped in the past, she came into the care center with a suitcase and her two young children. She was clearly in distress and didn't know where to turn. Her landlord had just kicked her out and her children out of their apartment without a clear understanding of the reasons why. They had their belongings with them and nowhere to go, nowhere to stay. The story was just not adding up. She wasn't late on her rent and there was no warning. So Ashley, the director of our care center, she stepped in and called the landlord herself. Thankfully, the story got untangled and she was allowed back in. It turned out to be a personal injustice where her vulnerability was taken advantage of. But our church, we stepped in to love kindness, just as this verse says. Let me tell you another story. Single young woman came to the care center and she comes from a very traditional church background, but heard we help people, anybody facing difficult circumstances. Her parents accompanied her and she was seven months pregnant at the time and in need of support and assistance. She told us that she was discouraged and even depressed as she faced the challenges of this unplanned pregnancy. Due to COVID and job loss, her family was also in financial stress. There were seven family members living in one house with a broken car. When our women's groups heard about their story, they were compelled to act, to help. They organized a baby shower for her that was fit for a queen with food and decorations, love and support. They generously gave gifts, both big and small, to set her and her baby boy up for success. Her family came to the shower and felt the support and love from people they were just getting to know. In their difficulty, Christ Church stepped in to love kindness. Isn't that awesome? Let me share one more. There's a single guy who, he got hit hard in this time, as many have over the past year. He was taking care of his widowed mother who goes to High Point. He opened up a Japanese restaurant in Chinatown just before the pandemic hit. He was in financial distress due to the shutdown and we helped him bridge the gap. His restaurant, catch this, is now number one takeout in Chinatown. And he stops by the care center regularly to thank us and pray for us. Just another story to illustrate what it looks like to love kindness. So what about you? Are you loving kindness because we all need to do our part? That's what this text is saying. Our third non-negotiable, the last one when it comes to this, defining our relationship with God. I must talk and walk humbly. The Hebrew word translated humbly, it's only used here in the Old Testament in its verb form. We see it in, as an adjective in Proverbs chapter 11, verse two, when it says this, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. So what this proverb is teaching is that humility will actually raise your IQ. But there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge, as you probably heard it said, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom knows not to put it in a fruit salad. Good advice for sure. But seriously, the wisdom you gain here from humility 
It's not like that. It's, it's a game changer. As it influences everything, your actions and your attitude, that's what biblical humility is all about. What you say, what you do. It carries the idea of putting yourself down to lift others up. Now, I'm not talking about false humility. Like when someone says, I'm stupid, or they say, oh, I'm not good at anything. That, that could be that the person is just fishing for compliments. That's not what I'm talking about. When it says walk with humility here in this verse, walk is a picture of your lifestyle. It's mentioned throughout the Bible. As the scripture says, to walk by faith and not sight, to walk in newness of life. This is describing how we are to live our life, how we are to walk and talk. So let me ask you this. Would other people describe you as a person who walks and talks with biblical humility? By what you say, by what you do, by how you live your life, by how you respond, by what you're aiming for, what you're going for, and, and how you actually get it. That's what this verse is talking about when it says, walk humbly with your God. One of my favorite passages is found in Genesis chapter 32. It's when Jacob wrestled with God because he wanted God to bless him. But God pinned him down and he forced him to the mat. God changed his name to Israel. See, God had to humble him before he could bless him. The text says that his leg was put out of joint, that his leg was dislocated by God as he wrestled with him. So I'm imagining that he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. That's the picture of biblical humility. When someone walks with a limp, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, especially since uh, I had my hip replaced almost a year ago now. I've got three different kinds of metal in my leg. I've been setting off the metal detectors at the airport. Go ahead and take a look at yourself. This, this is my new hip. And as you can see, there's literally three pieces that are there that I'm telling you, this is what my new hip is like. I'm guessing this is what Jacob needed after God dislocated his hip. I hope he had a good doctor like mine, a good Christian guy who, if I'm honest, he preached to me more than I preached to him. But seriously, just as God humbled Jacob and changed his name to Israel to receive what he was promised, God needs to humble us too. And whether we've had hip surgery or not as Christians, we should all walk with a limp because we've all been humbled by God. I love this quote from Andrew Murray on the subject. He writes, Humility is perfect quietness of heart. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me. And when I'm blamed or despised, it is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my father in secret and am at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and above is trouble. He also goes on to say this. Humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. So as we close, let's look at this verse from Micah one last time as it contains three non-negotiables that define our relationship with God. And I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it's almost like Christianity for dummies as we all have a lot to learn and we've all got a long way to go. Now, the word require, when it says, what does the Lord require of you? That's a Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word darash. And it literally sounds like that, darash, that that's what we're going to get if we don't do these three things. We're going to get a bad rash that's not going away, I guarantee. Now, this word required, it, 
it's used over 160 times in the Old Testament. We see it in other places translated in search or in seek of. So think about this. God is searching for this. God is seeking for this. This is what he's looking for. This is what he's after. So the question for each of us is, will God find it in me? Will God find it in you? Because this is the measurement he's using to define our relationship with him. Are you willing to make these non-negotiables your non-negotiables? These three non-negotiables that we see, these are the things that God is looking for. These are the things he's interested in. These are the things he wants. This is the most important relationship for us to define because it can redefine every other relationship that we have and that we're in according to what's best, according to what's most important as our desire is to glorify God. Now, in this series, we're going to define several types of relationships by what the Bible says. We'll also present a biblical example for each of these relationships and the topics. Some may be good examples of people living out the characteristic and others may be bad examples of people who aren't living it out. Today, we have a great example. His name is Enoch. And the Bible doesn't say much about him other than a few verses in Genesis. We'll put two of them on the screen. It says, Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. So what can we deduce from these two verses about Enoch? He lived a really long time, that's for sure. He walked with God a really long time, that's for sure too. Because he pleased God and was blessed with a really long life as a result. Therefore, I don't think it's a stretch to say that he must have had mastered these three non-negotiables that we're talking about today. I mean, look what else it says. It says that God took him, meaning he didn't die. No funeral for him. No arrangements were needed. You give that gravesite to somebody else. He went straight to heaven in bodily form. God just took him from the earth. That's how pleased God was with him. He is the poster boy for the three non-negotiables that we're talking about from Micah chapter six, verse eight. He's the bullseye that we're aiming at. So let me show you where we're headed over the next seven weeks. Here's a graphic of the topics and the relationships that we'll be covering in this series, along with the biblical examples. You see this week, week one, next week, we're going to be talking about marriage and we're going to look at Adam and Eve. We're going to look at the church and we're going to look at Ananias and Sapphira. That's going to be a little tough week. We're going to look at family with Abraham and Sarah. And man, if you know their story, they made so many mistakes and, and it's, they made all these mistakes, but God still blessed them. We're going to look at friends and look at a short little book, Philemon, I Can Hardly Wait, and community and country, as you can see. It's going to be a great series. And our hope is that at its conclusion, we'll be able to define our relationships as God desires with his wisdom and his help. And as we reconnect and recommit ourselves to each other and to him, we want to reassure and reaffirm our love for the church universally, the big church, capital C, and this church locally as we come together. That's our heart's desire. I hope you'll make it a priority to be with us here in person when you're in town or online when you're away. As the worship team comes forward, I started out the message by telling you about my birth mom, Catherine. I got a picture here of her and I at our first meeting in San Francisco. We learned a lot about each other that day. She moved to San Francisco after having me. I mean, she became a nurse there. 
She never had any other kids. She's 100% Italian as her parents came over from Italy. She played basketball like me. She went to the same college I did. Isn't that crazy? And one of the primary reasons why I sensed that God put her on my heart after all those years was not only to meet with her, but also to share with her and thank her for the courageous decision that she made to have me and to put me up for adoption. Because I know it couldn't have been easy for her to give up her only son. When I wrote back to her that first time, I, I said this. Let me read from a copy of the letter that I sent to her. Dear Catherine, I want to thank you for the courage you displayed over 30 years ago. I'm aware of all the circumstances surrounding that time, but I'm so pleased by your step of faith, which granted me a life with a family that provided an abundance of love and direction. Your selfless act of sacrifice is an example of genuine love. Let me try to fill you in on the past. And that's where I kind of caught her up on all the things that were happening in her lives. But then I wrote as I closed, Catherine, you more than most understand the sacrifice required to give up someone you love. God did the very same thing 2,000 years ago when he sent his son Jesus, his only son, to die on a cross as payment for our sins. Just as you gave the gift of physical life to me, God offers the gift of eternal life to all those who embrace his son by faith. Jordan and I made that decision to embrace the forgiveness that Christ offers a long time ago. It's the best decision that we ever made. And I hope if you haven't, you will do the same. Have you made that same choice to embrace Jesus and the forgiveness that he offers? I'm asking all of us, whether you're sitting here in Naperville with me or joining us from North Aurora and Romeoville, because if you haven't, living up to these three non-negotiables that I presented today, it's impossible. I mean, you can't do it. And Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing, nothing that will please God, nothing for eternity, nothing that will stand as these are things we can't do without his help. We can't do it without his strength. So bow your heads with me and let's make sure that we're able to do the things that God requires because we can't do them without his strength. Father in heaven, I call out to you now for each and every person here. And Lord, we look to you for strength and dependence. We can't do the things that you require without you living your life through us. And so Lord, I pray for those who have made a commitment to you that that commitment would be strengthened so that we could follow through on the things that you desire. Lord, allow us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with you, our Lord. And Father, for that one person or two, maybe even more, that has never given their life over to you, and embrace the forgiveness of Jesus. I pray right now that they would do it, that they would respond to that, that tugging on their heart and that they would simply admit that they need you, God, and turn to you by faith, embracing you as the Savior who forgives their sin and that they would confess, Lord, as best as they can that you are their Savior and you are their Lord. And Father, help us as we regather and reunite to live for your purposes and your plan. If you agree with that prayer, simply say amen.